Welcome to the Mean Lady Talking Podcast. This is the podcast that tackles tough questions about relationships, life, love, and loss. It may not be the advice you want, but it's probably the advice you need. And now here's your host, grief therapist, motivational speaker, relationship expert, best-selling author, and attorney, the not really mean, mean lady herself, Susan J. Elliott. everybody, this is Elliot, host of Mean Lady Talking Podcast, and this is Mean Lady Talking episode number 49, and I realized that I didn't do a podcast last week, it was because I was trying to get out the new workbook, the Getting Past Your Past Workbook, the Definitive Guide to Healing Health and Happiness, version 3.0 is now out. You can go to the website, gettingpastyourbreakup.com, and you can download the latest workbook. If you have version two, don't download this version. I am going to be updating a booklet series. I pulled out some of the affirmations, some of the boundaries, some of the family of origin stuff from version two, because some people felt that it was too much to understand. So for people who are doing the Getting Past Your Breakup program on your own by yourself, it's better to do it through the first level the first time. I had jammed way too much in version two. I managed to confuse people. And so what I've done with version three is I've actually pulled stuff out, rearranged things. The thing that is most new is the affirmations, but I have an affirmations booklet coming out in the next week or so. I have one person working on a flow chart that I put inside to show you different affirmations and where they all go. And I have a new cover for the booklet series. So as soon as that is ready, I will let you know. It's going to be Power Affirmations, GPYP Power Affirmations. And this is going to be a advanced booklet that you can work with on your own. And it's in lieu of what will be the Power Affirmations course, which is going to be re-released in April. If you were a student of last year's Power Affirmations course. You are welcome to email me and get the new course for free because we had so much, so many issues last year with the videos. And I figured all that out, but I was having, oh my goodness, we were having thunderstorms and my routers kept getting blown out and I kept sending routers back and getting bad ones or being told there was nothing wrong with it. And I would try to call Verizon and it would say the best way to reach us is Verizon.com, which I couldn't do because I had no router. It was, it was a mess. And I had launched the Power Affirmations course in the middle of that mess. And I apologize to all my students from last year. They were still able to have the materials and work with them. It just didn't happen on time. So this year, if you were a student, from last year. You are more than welcome to sign up for it with absolutely no cost. And if you haven't signed up for it, it will be coming out in April of 2019. So I'm looking at different ideas that people have given me for episode 50. But for this one, I want to talk about a couple of things. One of them is no contact. I don't think I've done a podcast on no contact yet, but I was having a one-on-one with a boot camper last night. One of our boot camps is ending on Sunday, March 17th. The codependency boot camp is starting on March 31st. So I was having a one-on-one with one of the boot campers last night and 
her ex, and I know that she listens to the podcast, and I am not saying this to embarrass you, my dear, you know, that I care about you, I told you I care about you, but this is for anybody else that might be in the same place. Her ex is personality disordered. Her ex is textbook personality disorder. And the ex reached out after a few months of no contact, just when this person was feeling really good. The ex reaches out, of course typical narcissistic move and we had a call that night and we all talked to her we all said this is typical this is what your narc is going to say and if you would read the email it was all about the narc it was not about this lovely wonderful person who came to boot camp saying please help me not about her her dog passed away nothing about the dog They'd been together for years. The ex-partner had taken care of the dog. Not a word about the, the poor dog passing. Not a word about the boot camper's children. Nothing. All about the narc. Narc, narc, narc. And we all said on the call, we all said that the narc was going to up the ante. That is what narcs do. If you don't respond to them or you tell them to leave you alone, they up the ante. And they up the ante because it's about you are their supply. A narc only cares about a narc. A narc needs a certain amount of supply. Think of a vampire who needs to suck your blood. This is a a narc. They are emotional vampires and they want to suck your blood. They don't care about whether or not you need your blood. They don't care what type your blood is. None of that matters. The only thing that matters to a narc is they need their supply and you are their supply. Why are you their supply? How did you get to be their supply? Okay, let me tell you. Because you are a good and wonderful person who has given and given and given, thinking that that's the right thing to do, thinking that's what you do with people that you love, but you've overgiven and you have given to the wrong person. The person you gave to is somebody who is absolutely incapable, constitutionally incapable of appreciating what you have given. Let me say that again. The narc is constitutionally incapable of appreciating what you have given, okay? So when the narc comes back, it's not because they had an awakening. It's not because they're saying, oh, you're such a wonderful person. I just realized that. They might even be writing that in email. They're only saying that to reel you back in. If you've thought of any time you've tried to manipulate a situation or manipulate a person, you think of you're just throwing words at them, hoping that something's going to take they're gonna bite on something this is the way a narc lives they live in manipulation they say everything is about manipulation so the narc's email was originally i realized that i'm so damaged and i realized i was unable to appreciate you and blah 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 blah. it's all nonsense 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 And we said, listen to the words, listen to the words. It's about me, 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 me. It's not about you. It's not about how are you? What's going on in your life? I hope you're well. I'm sorry to hear about your dog. I hope your kids are good. Nothing, nothing like that. Just me, 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 me. So she doesn't respond. And guess what? And we said, okay, you're not going to respond. And... The narc is going to up the ante. Guess what the narc did? The narc goes to her house and puts a card inside the mailbox. 
So the narc is trespassing. If you and your narc have broken up and you've told your narc to stay away from you and your narc comes to your house, it's trespass. It means I don't care about you. I don't care what you said. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you feel. I'm stepping over your boundaries. I don't care how uncomfortable it might be for you for me to show up here. I don't care. Maybe I'll run into you. Maybe I won't. But I don't care because this is about me. I have to give you this card, not because I think you're a good person who deserves a card, but because I'm upping the ante. Now, of course, they're not consciously saying any of that, but that's what's going on. And we called that shot. We called it and it, it was only a few days when it happened. I mean, it was just not long that the card appeared in the mailbox and it wasn't mailed, which meant that the narc came over and actually put that freaking card in the mailbox. That is such a betrayal. It is such a trespass of boundaries. It's wrong. And of course, the card once again said, me, 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 me. Oh, let's meet here this weekend. What? Like, what planet are you on that you just decide and you make plans for us? When this person was the one who broke up with the narc and wants to be away from the narc. But no, the narc cannot take no for an answer. When a narc wants what a narc wants, the narc is going to stop at nothing to get it. Now, what I tried to tell my boot camper, because my boot camper was afraid that if she sent an email to the narc that the group was going to turn their back on her. And we had a little talk about that. And I said, people get it when they get it. I don't turn my back on people who struggle with no contact. I turn my back on people who start to take advantage of me. When I put my heart, my soul, and everything that I have into helping my boot campers and my clients, and they just go and do whatever they want and make whatever choices they're going to make and just play in the mud with exes. I have to cut them loose because they're not ready. Now, over the past 25 years, I've only cut like three people loose. But each time that I did it, it was because I'm caring more about your recovery than you are. And I can't do that. I know that this person cares about her recovery and I wouldn't turn my back on her just because she sent an email. But she wants to send an email because she says she has compassion for this other person. And I know that that's codependency speaking. I know it's about, oh, this is a hurt person. This is a damaged person. I shouldn't be an asshole to this person because this person had a bad childhood. And I told her, I said, my ex had different things go on. His, his father left his mother when he was six months old because he was born. But my ex-husband got angry at me for the exact same thing. When I had my second son and he was colicky, just like he had been, and my son never stopped crying, just like my ex had been, he didn't talk to me because I took care of the baby. So even though my ex had that difficult beginning where his father left his mother because he was a colicky kid who wouldn't stop crying, he did the exact same thing when I had my second son who was colicky and wouldn't stop crying. So feeling sorry for him and having compassion for his childhood and what happened to him, it did absolutely nothing for me. Now I know that most people don't have that exact situation where they can look and say, see, I was showing compassion for what happened to them and then they did the exact same thing to me. I know, but this person has hurt you in so many other ways. This person has already 
exhibited the fact that they don't care about you. They've hurt you. I've seen narcs cheat on people, rob people of all their money, call them names, use them, abuse them, do all kinds of things. No matter how, I mean, you don't get to be a narc unless you're damaged in some way, but you are sacrificing yourself when you show compassion to a narc who has never shown you compassion. And you can say, well, I'm a human being and that's what, that's where I am and that's what I do. And I have heard that over the past 25 years, numerous times. And I do believe it's justifications and rationalizations, but you get it when you get it. Now, this person's going to leave boot camp on Sunday and I may never ever speak to her again. And she's welcome to do what she does. And I'm not going to turn my back on her if she sends an email to her ex. But if they started playing footsie again, I would be like, okay, you're not ready. And yeah, I can't watch you do this. I got out of a very unhealthy marriage to a narc. And I have seen narcs practically destroy people, practically destroy people, their children, their relatives, everybody. It is scorched earth with narcs. And even a narc that has enabled their children to the point where the children can't live on their own without checking in with the narc parent or whatever it is, these poisonous ties that these narcs tend to bind their children to them. There are some narcs who abandon their children. There are some narcs that keep their children walking on eggshells. There are some narcs that keep their kids not knowing which end is up. And then there's other narcs that enable their children to the point where the children are so tied to them that they can have the children at their beck and call and they can turn the children against the other parent. They can keep the children from growing up and being decent human beings and they can enable the children's bratty behavior toward the other parent, toward the non-disorder parent. And the non-disorder parent is sitting there thinking the world has gone crazy. My ex, who is a narc and who is abusive and who is a terrible person, has the love and respect and care for the children who all think that I'm the crazy person. I've seen that and it's sad and it's terrible, but you then have to cut ties with the children. And I've seen people grow up and not have relationships with their narc parents but have become so damaged from their narc parent and the way that they were treated that they've become narcissistic, perhaps not in in a personality disordered degree, but to some extent. And then they, in turn, treat their remaining parent, the non-disordered parent, like crap because they unconsciously identify with the narc parent. And when I say identify, I don't mean that they're saying, oh, dad is such an asshole. I want to be just like dad. But there is an unconscious desire to be like the narc parent or to know the narc parent. And they don't know that they're a narc. They just know that they're a parent and they're my parent and they left me. And you become so sensitive to anything about that parent. So you can't say to them, look, even though you weren't raised by this narc, you're acting like them. You can't say that because they get so sensitive and they, they're at top of their head blows off. But now you've got another generation acting like that and they don't even know why. And they are hurting other people and many times they're hurting their non-narc parents. And only because... That's the only role model they have from their narc parent is that the narc parent hurt the non-narc parent. So then you'll see
see the kids hurting the non-NARC parent too, and it's terrible, terrible, terrible for the non-NARC parent. I want to do actual shows about this, about how you have to come to terms sometimes with not speaking to your adult children because they are emulating a NARC parent, even NARC parents that they don't know, don't care about, don't have a relationship with. If you know anybody like that, any family like that, please send me email. You can send it meanladytalkingpodcasts at gmail.com. We also have a new website. Well, we're going to have a new website. You can also send to meanladytalking at meanladytalking.com. But I would send it to the Gmail just to make sure that it, it gets to me because I'm still getting a lot of emails in that in the Gmail address. Anyway, if you know any families where there's a situation where the kids are now acting like the narc parent, let me know. I mean, I really want to do a show or a series of shows on this. Anyway, and one thing that I want to say, this entire podcast is not about this woman. This woman is just the personification of so many others that I have worked with over the years. And I said to her, I wish you were joining the codependency boot camp that's starting the first week of April, because I really think that anybody who's still playing in the sand or thinking about playing in the sand or thinking about even sending an email to a narc who has hurt you and coming up with reasons for doing that. I think that they're very active in their codependency. But for me, I have to back off. She said to me, well, you know, I really need a break. The work's been intense. And I didn't remember taking a break in my recovery from codependency for like five years. And I can't push at that point because it's it comes off like a sales pitch. And it's not a sales pitch because when you look at what I charge for boot camps versus how much work I put into each and every person, I'm making less than minimum wage on each and every time that I put ounce of effort into either answering assignments, reading journals, doing calls, having one-on-ones. So it's not about the money. It's about, I want to help you, but I can't help people who don't want to be helped or who don't think that it's time for them to be helped or have not gotten the gift of desperation. And the gift of desperation is I'm so hurt. And it's so clear to me that I've got these issues and I really, really, really need to work on them. And she said, I don't want the group to turn their back on me. And the group is very compassionate But you have to understand that when you have support groups, and I had this with more than one friend of mine and a few clients, where the bottom line is that these are recovering codependents. I'm a recovering codependent. I'm a recovered codependent. And even though I feel like it would take a lot to get me into my disease, there's only so far you can go with people who are making up reasons why this isn't that bad or why I should make this contact or why I should do this because you trigger other people. It's not about, I want to turn my back on you. It's about, A, am I helping you as a professional? Am I helping you? And if somebody is saying, well, you know, I need to take a break. This was really intense. Or they're continuing to act out in their disease, despite all the time that I've put into them. And I put a lot of time into my clients. I put a lot of time into my boot campers. And if somebody is still acting out and acting out in more ways than this woman's talking about, she's only talking about sending an email, but I'm talking about anything and much more severe things. If somebody's acting out, I know that they're not really getting it. And I'm not the person who's going to 
carry the message to them. That's really obvious to me. And there's only been a few times in my 25-year career that I've actually done that with clients. I've done it with friends. I've done it with friends going, you know what? I can't look at this. I can't watch this anymore. And there's a message that a person needs to get. And I'm obviously not the person who can deliver that message. But when you have a support group, and I'm not talking about me as a professional, I'm talking about me as somebody in the support group, I'm talking about other members of the support group, they're also recovering codependence, recovering relationship addicts, recovering love addicts, recovering whatevers. And watching you spin is only something a lot of people can watch for a time. They can't watch it forever. So when people say things like, oh, you're all going to be mad at me, you're going to turn your back on me, they're not going to. But If they do, it's not because they don't care about you. It's because they have to deal with self-preservation. They've decided that they're not contacting their ex. They've decided they're not going to be active in their codependency. And they've decided that what you are doing and your decisions are not in keeping in line with their recovery. It has nothing to do with you as a person. Everybody that I've ever helped either in my groups, in my boot camps, in my clients or people in regular support groups that I've gone to as just a member or 12-step program, whatever, I have absolute what I wish for them is for them to get better, whether I'm looking at them as a professional or as a member of the club. I want them to get better. Codependents see themselves as worthless unless they're doing, doing, doing for someone else and saying, oh, I will heal you. If somebody says, oh, I'm so damaged, a codependent's going to say, oh, let me help you. Let me rescue you. Codependents are rescuers. They feel rejected and abandoned if they're not doing enough for someone else. Yet one of the things that you have to do in codependency recovery is to understand that people who hurt you don't deserve you. They just don't. That's a truism that you have got to tattoo on your forehead. People who have hurt you don't deserve you. They don't deserve your compassion. They don't deserve your contact. They don't deserve your help. They don't deserve you rescuing them. They don't deserve you doing for them. They don't deserve it. They're not good people. They're not helping you in your life. Why in the world would you want to help them in theirs? Codependents care about the needs of others. So if somebody says to me, well, you know, it's just human to human, it's like, no, it's not. Human to human is you care about me, I care about you. But when you start hurting me, I got to go. That's a healthy relationship. When you are ready to be healthy and to protect yourself against people who don't care or people who will hurt you. If I hurt somebody in the way that I hear a lot of narcs have hurt others, cheating on them, giving them the silent treatment during relationships, mistreating their children, you know, all kinds of things. I wouldn't want those people in my life. They have to go. People in my life have to live up to a certain standard because over the years of my codependency recovery, I've learned to protect myself. And that has to be number one. That is job one, whether you're with a disordered person or not. Job one is you protect yourself. You need to not give people second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances. When you are in recovery, people don't get that many chances. They just don't. There are certain offenses that one time and you're gone. Then there's other ones where it's like, okay, like I'll forgive you, but things have to change. But if you keep going back and keep going back, especially with narcissists, they don't listen. They're not listening. They don't care what you're saying. They they don't believe you. 
You've gone back too many times. You've been a fool too many times. You've been an idiot too many times. You have fallen for their bullshit too many times. They don't believe you. You could be going, yada, 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 yada. This is it. I only want to talk to you. I only want to give you like five minutes of my time. And and this is how it's going to be. And these are my boundaries. You know what the narcissist hears? Or the extremely disordered person? Or the extremely dysfunctional person hears? When the codependent is going, these are my boundaries and this is what I think and blah, blah, blah. You know what they hear? They hear Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. That's what they hear. They're not listening to you. People pleasing does not work. It breaks you. And the narcissist just laps that crap up. When you are focused on the needs of others, on, oh, this person is damaged. Oh, this person had a bad childhood. Or this person... You know, they're they're recognizing their faults. No, 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 no. If you haven't put yourself first before listening to that bullshit, that bullshit is just going to eat you alive. You have to turn your attention to yourself. That is what every recovering codependent needs to do. And I'm not even talking about every codependent because a lot of people don't like that word. They'll say, oh, it's a pop culture, pop, pop, pop. And, you know, I've done that in other podcast. But no matter what you think you are, if you've had a traumatic breakup, you need to focus on you. And if it feels selfish and it feels self-centered and it feels like I shouldn't be doing this, that's your disease talking. That is your disease. You have to work on yourself. You have to work on your self-esteem. You have to work on your boundaries and standards. You have to be able to say, look, this is me. This is who I am, and these are the only people I will surround myself with. Even if you have a post-relationship, oh, let's sift through the rubble and see what went wrong, which a lot of people are silly enough to think that that's warranted. Even if you go through all of that with your ex, it's not helping you. You need to focus on you, not have these little powwows about, Okay, what do you think happened? And remember that argument we had? And gee, I was only trying to help you. And I was only trying to be there for you. And you turned your back on me. Who cares? You're not in a place to discuss what went wrong here. You have to figure out what went wrong in you. That you put up with this bad mistreatment. When codependents or people pleasers or people who are so dysfunctional that they put their ex first or they put their partner first where the partner cheats on them or breaks up with them and they take them back after a big thing like that, a breakup, infidelity, something like that, they think that that will be appreciated and it's not. It's never appreciated. No matter how much you do, no matter how much you forgive, no matter how much you try, it's never going to be enough. And all you're doing, doing, doing is only taking away from your recovery. People can say, I need a break from the work, but then they'll shuffle off and go email back and forth with their ex. Where's your break? A true break is self-care. It's about turning inward, doing your affirmations, doing your self-care, doing all the things that say, I'm important and I matter. And having some post-mortem discussion with an ex is not that. It's not taking care of you. Melody Beatty said that we have to stop telling ourselves that we are different when we do and feel things that other people do. In other words, if you contact your ex or your ex contacts you and you respond, 
You are no different than anyone else. Don't give me all this stuff about, well, you know, I was just blah, blah, blah. No. We've all been there. We've all been tempted. We all get it. You're not different. Your ex isn't different. It's all sick. It's all twisted. And it all needs to stop. There are many people who say, oh, well, I can't be mean to my ex. My ex was the bad actor. But if I'm ignoring my ex now, I'm the bad actor. No, you're not. Taking care of yourself is never being the bad actor. Now, I know that I'm not everybody's cup of tea, but I give my clients a lot of attention. Yesterday, I had my first client at 8.30 in the morning. I did boot camp one-on-ones all day, and I had a client again at 9.30 last night, and we talked till 11 o'clock. And maybe my in-your-face stuff doesn't work for everybody, but when people are hurting themselves, people I've worked with, people I like, people I care about, when they're hurting themselves, Over and over again, I cannot watch it. I'm too busy to watch it. I don't want to watch it. I want to work with people that want to get better. I don't have a lot of time during the day. I work like 20 hours a day, seven days a week, and that is not an exaggeration. If you're in the Facebook group, you'll see that I'm in there at 3 o'clock in the morning, at 7 o'clock in the morning, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You'll know if you're a client of mine, you'll get emails from me at eight o'clock in the morning, eight o'clock at night and three o'clock in the morning, noontime. You will get emails from me all kinds of day and night and it will never be a long time between when you send me the email and when I respond because I really care about the people that I work with and I really want to work with people who want to get better. I cannot work with people who play with these very, very important ideas. It's important that you work the program the way it's supposed to be worked. And no contact is a very important part of the program. I don't care if you feel like a meanie. I don't care if you feel embarrassed. I don't care if you feel like, oh my God, everybody's going to think that I'm so terrible. Or I just need to explain this to my ex. Or I just need to tell my ex this or that. I don't care what it is. People don't want to work with me because I know that that's bullshit. Bullshit. And again, I'm saying this as a practitioner. As a practitioner, I want to work with people who want to get better. That's my bottom line. I keep my client list very small. I could be making a whole lot more money as an attorney. I do make decent money as a divorce coach, but I can't do divorce coaching when I'm doing all this other stuff. So there's only a certain amount of time that I can put into that. And with divorce coaching, I have to know the legalities of where the person is and what their lawyer is saying. Divorce coaching is much more intricate and complex than coaching, being in therapy, doing the boot camps. Divorce coaching is more complicated, but I could be making a lot more money doing that and putting my time into marketing my services for that because I have done no marketing for services for that. So I keep my client list small because I want to help people and I want to be there and I want people to know that I'm available to help them because most of my clients are doing really difficult stuff and I appreciate that. But also as a recovered codependent, and a recovered relationship addict. I can't listen to what I know is absolute bullshit. I can listen to it up to a point and then it starts to trigger my own stuff and I have to start thinking, am I being codependent with this client? If I don't set a boundary with this client and tell the client like you are skating on really thin ice, then there's something wrong with me. I am crossing boundaries that practitioners should not cross. And if I'm doing that, it's coming from my own disease. So if I set a boundary with a client or a boot camp or somebody that I'm working with, 
it's because it needs to be said. It's not because I'm a mean person. It's not because I'm a terrible person. Mean lady talking is about telling it like it is giving it to you straight. It's not about actually being mean. It's about caring from a strict place because that's what got me well. People who would say to me, you're believing your own bullshit. And trust me, I did that for a long time. But I worked really hard at recovery. I worked really hard at getting well. And guess what? I got well. And there's only so much bullshit I can listen to from people. And there's only so much for me to go around. So I'm not going to say to somebody, hey, why don't you take this? Or why don't you sign up for one-on-one with me? Or why don't you sign up to, to be my private client if I didn't think that I could help them? And if somebody's in my practice or in my boot camp and they're continuing to act out, it's obvious I'm not helping them. There are plenty of people in the world who will say they're there, pat you on the head and give you a million chances. But to me, those are practitioners who have not done their own work and who don't get that they're not doing you any favors. I don't like to not do my clients, my boot campers, the people that I work with any favors. So this is not about one person. It's about every person who's ever struggled with contact with the ex and making up reasons why, well, this has got to be okay and I just hope you don't get mad at me. Yeah, no. That's, I mean, that's just, no. Mm -mm. I'm not going to turn my back on somebody and I don't think anybody in any of my groups is going to turn their back on somebody who is operating from a misguided sense of compassion for somebody who's hurt you. If you have compassion for somebody who hurt you, You're not putting yourself first. And I know that it sounds mean and I know that it sounds awful, but you really have to kind of buck up and get strong about not caring more about the narc than the narc cared about you. And that includes, I have compassion for the narc as a human being. You have to get rid of that compassion because that compassion will bring you into deep waters where you're going to drown. The narc is not going to stop. If you send an email saying, I'm not ready to talk now, that's not going to stop it. It's not going to stop it. A narc wants what they want when they want it. And they're going to get you alone. And that's what happens. And that's one of the reasons why. There is a saying in AA, I've heard them use it in Codependence Anonymous and Al-Anon. And it's any kind of disease. Your disease will get you, but will get you alone. I've heard it about abusers. Abusers will get you, but they'll get you alone. The absolute enemy of A narc, an abuser, somebody who's highly dysfunctional, a sociopath, a psychopath is other people. Other people in your ear saying that's not a good person. And if you have too many people in your life, there's going to be somebody who's going to say about your partner, that's not a good person. Somebody's going to see in, even though narcs are out there and they're supposedly so loved by everybody. And everybody thinks they're so wonderful, especially the overt narcissists who are out there being social and lovable. And everybody thinks that they're just so fabulous. If you have close friends, not only are you going to be able to see the cracks in the narc, but your friends are going to be able to see cracks in the narc. And your friends are going to be able to see that the narc is not treating you well. And your friends are going to say, stay away from that narc. And what your narc is going to do, your ex-narc, or your present narc, whichever it is, 
is going to get you away from those friends. When you're in the relationship, they're going to be threatened by your friends. They're going to try to isolate you. They're going to try to keep you by yourself because your friends are the enemy of the narc. Your kids might be the enemy of the narc. The narc needs to get you but first they need to get you alone. Understand that that is the reason for no contact. No contact is about giving you the time and the space to heal. If somebody can't respect you when you've asked them to leave you alone, it's a very basic thing to ask somebody. There's nothing more basic, more personal, more sacred as leave me alone. Leave me alone. Narcs can't hear that. They don't want to leave you alone because if they leave you alone, you're going to get healthy and you're not going to be a supply for them. How are you a supply for them? Because every time they take a hit off you, you're somebody they hurt. You're somebody they betrayed. You're somebody maybe they cheated on, but you are definitely somebody that they hurt. But they're so terrific that you go crawling back. Maybe you don't go into bed with them. Maybe you don't see them. But even answering an email says, yes, you're still important to me because that's what they need and that's what they hear. If you say, I'm just being compassionate to you because I'm a good human being, they don't hear that. They hear, I'm so wonderful. I could hurt this person in a myriad of ways and they'll still come running to me when I call. And if they don't come running the first time, I up the ante and hey, they come the second time. It's not that hard. I know how to do it and I do it. And it's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. But even if your ex is not disordered, your ex and you did not work out, you need the time and the space to heal. You need the time and the space to figure out who you are. You need the time and space to come back into your own as an unattached person, even if, and this is one thing that really bothers me sometimes when people say, well, I want to be open to reconciliation. And if you read Getting Past Your Breakup, you know that that's one of the seven excuses. I want to be available to reconciliation. Even if there was to be a reconciliation in the future, and I'm not even going to talk about that, but even if there was to be one, the relationship that you had is dead, it's over, and you need to grieve it. No matter what, you need to grieve it. You need the time and space to grieve it. That's what NC is about. And if the person cannot give you the time and space to be on your own and to come back or to resume communication on your terms, they don't respect you. Get that through your head. A person that you have told, I'm not ready to do this. And they keep coming back is a person who doesn't respect you. And you don't have to lay it out. You don't have to say, I will let you know when I'm ready. You said, I'm not ready. And the next question should be, are you ready now? And if there's no answer, then the answer is obvious. No, I'm not ready. But if you've told somebody, I am not ready to talk to you, and they start emailing you and sending you cards and doing this and doing that and showing up in your house and blah, 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 they're not respecting you. That is basic respect. Leave me alone is a basic respect. If I walked down the street and I came within three inches of somebody, I would be invading their personal space. And they would probably be calling the cops on me. When I was in undergrad, I remember social psychology. That was something that we were supposed to do. We were supposed to see how close we could get to a stranger before the stranger looked at us and gave us a look. 
And in New York, it doesn't take that long, even though we're all sort of like cramped into each other. It still doesn't take long. If your ex cannot respect a simple leave me alone, there's something wrong with that. I tell people like you should definitely file for harassment file a no contact order. And if you're in some sort of situation where you can't do that, then you have to be the person who says, leave me alone and mean it and enforce it. But if you keep giving your ex mixed signals, if the ex is a narc, they are going to sail right over your boundaries and they're going to ignore the signals that they don't like and they're going to come after you and they're going to do exactly what they want to do. It's really unfortunate when people don't respect a basic simple, leave me alone. It's really unfortunate. It's unfortunate and it's wrong. It's not okay. Now, I told the group the story about firing a client of mine who was playing footsie with the the ex-narc, somebody who had just treated her absolutely horribly. And I realized that there was nothing I could say to this person, nothing that was going to get them to stop the contact with their ex. There just wasn't. And when I feel as if I can't help someone anymore, whether it's because we've come far enough or because they're just not listening to the things that I'm telling them or they're rejecting what I have to say, I just get to a point where I I can't do it anymore. I just can't. And that's not the situation that I was talking about with this boot camp. I mean, this boot camp was only thinking about sending an email. I just worry about this person because she's such a wonderful, nice, sweet person. And the narc has just treated her really badly. And it's just not okay. Just not. And what I was saying was, you can only ask your support group to watch for so long. And not that this person did anything. This person hasn't done a thing. But I've been in situations where it gets to be where you you just can't watch this anymore. You know that either the ex is hurting the person or a family member's hurting the person. Maybe the kids are hurting the person, whatever it is. And you try to get people and you try to say, look, this is the way out. And they ignore you or they poo-poo you. I've had so many people come into my boot camps and become client of mine and say, you know, I read your book and I really didn't believe in NC and, you know, I thought you were full of crap and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I get that. I get that. But once you're working with me, you have to know that it's not crap. And you can't do it buffet style. You can't say I'll have the peas, but not the carrots. You can't say I'll have the relationship inventory, but not the NC. You have to do it the way that it's supposed to be done. And it's really important. NC is about giving you the time and space to focus on you. And if the ex is writing you, if the ex is coming over, if the ex is sending you cards, if the ex is in your face, you're not getting the opportunity to worry about you. It becomes about them again, even though you're not contacting them. You need to know that it absolutely is in your best interest to stay no contact as long as you can and that you look at your rationalizations and justifications for wanting to make contact and realizing it's all bullshit because it is. It's about to thine own self be true and that means bullshit thyself not. And if you're saying, well, I only or I just or I was trying, all that is bullshit. All of it is bullshit. I don't care what the rest of the sentence is, is bullshit. 
bullshit, bullshit, and more bullshit. It's bullshit. And you should take the time to not bullshit yourself with whatever reasons, justifications, rationalizations you want to put in place to get in touch with your ex and say whatever the hell it is you want to say. And if it's just uncomfortable, if it's just uncomfortable for you, it's uncomfortable for me for somebody to reach out to me, for somebody to send me an email, someone I cared about, someone I was in a relationship with, it's uncomfortable for me to not answer back. Just sit with the discomfort. Just sit with it. It's like quitting smoking, quitting drinking, whatever it is. It's a drug. You have to sit with the discomfort. You have to sit with the anxiety. You have to sit with whatever unpleasant feelings come up and say, okay, I'm sitting with the feelings. I'm not contacting them. If you can't get no contact right, you're going to have a problem with everything else. No contact, it's a basic right. You have the right to be left alone from everybody. And if somebody that you used to be in a relationship with is harassing you, is stalking you, is trying to get in your face, emailing you, then sending cards and up in the ante. It's not a person who cares about you. It's a person who cares about them. And listen to what they're saying. It's me, 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 most of the time. Even if your contact is with somebody who's not disordered, they have to respect your right to be left alone. And if they don't, then You've got nothing left to talk about. It's a basic, basic right. You have the right to be no contact with everybody, everybody on the planet. It could be your mother. It could be your adult child. It could be, you have the right to be no contact with anyone who has hurt you in the past, who has not treated you well. And anyone who cannot respect that has no place in your life. And these narcs are people who do not respect it. I mean, there's a whole bunch of other people that don't respect it, but narcs definitely don't respect it. And forget about any reason whatsoever to be in touch with a narc. There's no good reason to do it, and it's only going to land you in trouble. And the only reason I get strict with people about it is because I care so much about them. But I can't care about you more than you care about you. I just can't. And I tell people that I have the right to go no contact with you if you can't go no contact with your ex because I cannot care about your recovery and I cannot care about you more than you care about your recovery, more than you care about you. So please care about your recovery. Stay no contact. And the person that I was speaking to about this that kind of set off this whole podcast Please remember to take care of you. You are a lovely, lovely person and you don't deserve the pain that your ex caused you. And I know that you're a compassionate person and I know that you see this as a human to human compassion thing, but it's really not. This is caring about somebody who didn't care about you. Forget the compassion, forget the just a human being who cares about somebody on a compassionate level from my heart, blah, blah, blah. Forget about that. That is your disease talking. That is your disease of codependency, of overblown empath, whatever you want to call it. It is your disease talking. It is not recovery talking. Recovery does not say, I want to just send an email because I'm a compassionate human being. Recovery doesn't say that. Recovery says the hell with this person. This person hurt me and I want nothing to do with this person. That's what recovery says. It might sound mean, it might sound over the top, it might sound like it's way too much, but it's not. It's exactly what recovery says. If you care about your recovery, you care about recovering from codependency, from being uh, used, abused, and thrown out, 
away empath, then you will not get in touch with your ex. Leave it alone. No contact gives you the space to heal. That's what you need to do. Get on with healing, guys. Stay no contact. And trust me, I know how hard it is, but you can do it. Please, if you have some ideas, our next show is the 50th show. Please, please, please send email me, ladytalkingpodcast at gmail.com. I'm going to start recording the 50th podcast in a day or so. So if you've got any ideas, please, please, please send them to me. Talk to you guys soon. Take care. And remember, no contact.